so I was wondering, thinking about uh, the difference between reading this text and then seeing it performed, um, what your process was like sort of adapting and, and creating this play? Um, when I was asked to direct Twelfth Night, the first thing I had in mind was the things I didn't want to do. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 648, discussing Twelfth Night. Recently, I was asked by my friend Professor Katie Reedy to speak to her class at Lake Forest College about my approach to directing Twelfth Night for the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company in the fall of 2018. So this episode will be sort of a deep dive into both the play and my production, so I hope it's interesting to the fully 99% of you who weren't in or didn't see my production, and to those of you who haven't read Twelfth Night recently. I started by telling Katie and her class my pretty basic starting point when figuring how to direct what is arguably Shakespeare's greatest comedy. It's called a comedy. It's not called a melancholy. And um, I think that um, the greatest comedies are fueled by the most desperate of situations. Viola is desperate to find her brother. She's desperate to, you know, get Orsino for herself. Um, Orsino is desperate for Olivia. Olivia is desperate mm. for, for Cesario. Um, Sir Toby is desperate for Sir Andrew's money. Sir Andrew is desperate for Olivia's love. Now, part of this is Shakespeare's fault. Orsino is one-third of the major romantic triangle, and he's, the, he's, he's, he, he's who your heroine ends up with. Mm -hmm. So he's got to be somebody you like. He's got to be charming. He's got to be sexy. He's got to be you know, appealing in many ways. And, but but um, what's his name? I was going to say, what's his name? You know, mm -hmm. Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> hasn't written him that interestingly. He, mm. You know, he hasn't... Orsino's, and, and the first time you see Orsino, he's whining, reflecting about love and philosophy. And it's like, boring, do stop, please, just stop. Um, so the challenge is to find a, 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 a scenario in which um, Orsino becomes appealing um, to, uh, to Viola. Um, I think that answers your question. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's one of the other questions I wanted to get into as well, is the romantic, the sort of like triple marriage plot in your production mm -hmm. itself. Um, did you have any sense for, like, for how to make Orsino, first of all, like a more appealing kind of like character, um, you know, especially given... Yeah, so I think someone's described him as being a pretty like representative toxic masculinity kind of figure at yeah. times. Um, but how do? Um, but you have those central roles. You said Viola and Olivia are such, um, you know, are such powerful roles in the way that in many Shakespeare's comedies the female parts are so strong, right? Yeah. And are stronger in some cases than the romantic male parts. Mm. Um, so was there a way that you? Um, found a way to, uh, how, you know, how did you approach that, I guess, with your production? And um, and also, what you're getting to with the, like, the great actors who they play, like, it's, right. this piece is an interesting piece because it's so, 
evenly divided line wise like Toby mm. Belch has the greatest number of lines but yeah. not by like a ton um so did you feel like there was a lead role here or was it more evenly kind of divided? um I think <clears throat> the lead for me is Viola because mm-hmm. she's in every scene almost mm-hmm. um um and we're and and she's the a a story you know her mm-hmm. her journey is the a story mm-hmm. um uh um, you saw that I, I said it in 1850s um, San Francisco during the gold rush. And, and that was for many reasons, um, but mostly because it's a, it's a play about music and love. And so it's got a lot of songs in it. And so it had to be music that I, that I like. Um, I, the only thing I told my composer was no lutes. No, I don't want sleepy, dreamy Mm-hmm. Guitar. Um, mm-hmm. um, there was some sleepy dreaming guitar because one of the songs is "Come Away, Death." I mean, there's so many clues in the play. Yeah. It, it, the play, the play is is driven by loss and separation, as Hamlet is, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and uh, by pain. Um, bless you. And um, <laughs> and I think that's actually one of the reasons why Orsino is so underwritten, because mm-hmm. because uh, 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 he had just. Not just, but like before he'd written Twelve Night, he wrote Hamlet, and Richard Burbage played Hamlet, and Hamlet's a, a monster mountain of a role, and Burbage probably said, "All right, I'll play Orsino, but I want to be only in like three, four scenes tops." Uh, and so I think Shakespeare went, "Great, thanks. It doesn't matter. I've got Richard to play the part. I don't have to write him that interestingly because." Richard will play him interestingly because yeah. Richard Burbage is interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, that was one thing and finding that. But also just mm-hmm. getting, um, getting actors who are willing, willing and able to uh, not be afraid of the comedy and not be afraid of the pain. Mm. So uh, <clears throat> in Cincinnati Shakes has a wonderful uh, ensemble of actors mm-hmm. who are very, very comfortable doing all of this. And... Um, um, and f- so, for instance, I, the world in which I create the, the, this 1850s um, uh, 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 gold rush setting, our cons- my conception of Orsino was mm. that not that he was a duke and not mm. that she was a lady. We, we, mm. we continue to use the terms lords and ladies. The play is very much about class, but only a little. It's mostly about the, no- the problems of the nobility. Uh, and I don't give a shit about the problems of the nobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, so Duke Orsino in our production, that was his name. His first name was Duke. His last name was Orsino. And um, we didn't put a sign up that said, but Orsino's court was the name of his saloon. And he was an old captain, an old captain on the seas, possibly a pirate, who had encountered Antonio on, mm-hmm. on the seas. In our production, she was Antonia. Um, um, well, she was Antonia, but she also played another role in the first scene, which I'll tell you about. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, and so, so he was roguish. He was sexy. He mm-hmm. in his first scene with Cesario, mm-hmm. he comes in. He comes in. Well, we had added a minute. Where Valentine has this line about you've only been with us a couple of weeks or days or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but you are already so close to Orsino in his love. Blah 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 blah. And and he says something about these fortunes or these tokens or something. Mm-hmm. I had Valentine bring in a mirror, a big, large, ornate mirror, like it's a gift to. To uh, Cesario <clears throat> and Valentine is is going. Whoa! How, why do you get all the swag? You know, mm-hmm. wow, you've only been here a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it gave it gave um, uh, a Viola the opportunity to check herself out in the mirror, and she and we did lots of bits of that. Mm-hmm. I said, "What if you had some socks that you stuffed down the front of your pants?" 
And and she just ran with that. She just ran, you know, she stuffed the socks down the front of her pants and went, <laughs> and then she looked at herself in the mirror and went, oh, 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 oh no, 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 no. She threw them away. Um, but the other thing I told her, I said, the first time you see yourself in the mirror, see your brother. See Sebastian. And she just ran with that. She's an actress who can just ran with that. So run with it. So <clears throat> she, she saw herself and there was this great silent moment of, oh my God, I look just like Sebastian. And uh, it was wonderful. So then, again, when, when they come together at the end and they reunite at the end, it's beautiful because mm. you've seen how much... I also staged the storm so where mm. Violet and Sebastian are separated. Um, <clears throat> and so then when Orsino runs in, uh, everybody's getting dressed for the day. He's in just his trousers, no shirt, and he puts his dressing gown on. And, and my Orsino was cut. <laughs> Um, he looked so good with his shirt off. Um, and so there were lots of, you know, he runs in and she goes, ha, ah! you know, she's not afraid to, uh, uh, not afraid of the comedy of that. Mm-hmm. And, and then the mirror, the mirror bit allowed Orsino to kind of stand behind her and go, well, look how much you look like a man. You know, look at your shoes, look at mm-hmm. your pipe, the whole thing's semblance of a woman's piece or whatever the line is. Um, and she, and, and she would go, no, oh. You know, rubbing her hands down his chest and um, his like twelve pack. Um, uh, uh, the whole point of this is that she has to dress like a man. Mm-hmm. Now, four hundred years ago, she had to dress like a man because to serve Duke Orsino in his court, he would she would have to be a man. Or there are those rules don't exist anymore, and I'm not even sure they existed in 1850s. But what we did instead was the woman who played Antonia. Um, doubled as we ended up calling her Mabel, but I put her in the script as saloon wench. So mm. she was a dance hall girl, she was a mm. prostitute, she was whatever she was. But then she's behaving in a, a in a kind of a sexy, body way, and Viola looks at that and goes, "Disguise me as a eunuch. I don't want to be a woman in this world because that mm. is my these are my options, mm. and I don't want to deal with that." So. Mm. It gave a reason for mm. why is she dressed like a man, not for some comic purposes. Mm-hmm. It ends up being comic, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to find, I'm trying to tell the story as a director. I'm always trying to tell the story um, visually as as well as mm. you know making the text clear. Um, I also cut the text. I, mm-hmm. I just you know trimmed it. I cut a lot of Festy. I don't find mm. Festy anywhere near as interesting as many people do. Mm. Um, the action stops when Festy starts. Let me tell you about this. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't care about that. I want to get on with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get on with mm-hmm. Viola's story. This is Kate Pitt, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. We have three performances left of our 2019 tour of the complete works of William Shakespeare Abridged Revised this spring and summer of 2019 in Meridian, Mississippi on May 30th, in Lakeside, Ohio on 
July 18th and in Lake Placid, New York on August 10th. You also have one final weekend to see the non-RSE workshop production of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel at Napa Valley College in Napa, California. Go to NapaValleyTheater.org for tickets and showtimes. And we'll have more performance dates to announce for this fall of 2019, both in the U.S. and um, elsewhere just as soon as possible. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Professor Katie Reedy, talking to her class at Lake Forest College about my production of Twelfth Night at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company. She was asking me about my treatment of Shakespeare's treatment of Malvolio. Uh, in your production, I'm, that's one of those questions I'm always interested in hearing, how, how the like, dark room scene played out in your production and how Malvolio mm -hmm. in general as a character like, was embodied. So this 1850s uh, setting, Gold Rush setting, gave a great backstory to Olivia, which I don't think enough productions focus on Olivia. I did a podcast mm. with my two actors who played Viola and Olivia, and, 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 and uh, Abby, who... Blade Olivia was saying, I, I'm surprised that more women don't grow up, more young Shakespearean, Shakespearean actresses don't grow up wanting to play Olivia because it's a great role. Mm -hmm. um, it's, like, it's a little bit like Kate in Taming of the Shrew, weirdly. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's a woman who's being mm -hmm. told to act in a certain way and is mm -hmm. fed up with it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so in our conception mm -hmm. of this is that her, her father has died, now her brother has died. So she's been brought out to San Francisco as the daughter of this rich man um, um, because we're going to make, our, we're gonna make, make it rich in San Francisco in the gold rush. Then her father dies. Now she's stuck with just her brother. Then her brother dies. And now she's stuck with the, with the care in the, for the, with the care of her drunk uncle and, her, and the burden of this butler, <clears throat> Malvolio, who is more, way more controlling than I think He's not as he's not as servile as he maybe mm. should be. Mm. So this was one of the reasons mm. because that torture of Malvolio goes on. I think mm -hmm. four hundred years ago he was a Puritan and everybody hated the Puritans. So who cares what we do to Malvolio? But that's mm. again that's not quite the case. I could have I could have created a scenario in which he was a religious uh, a, a right a, a, you know a, I don't know fundamentalist religious figure. But mm -hmm. I, that wasn't the way I uh, wrote. I wanted to go down, but I. I thought part of Olivia's problem is that she's a mm. woman in a world where there aren't a lot of women, and the men that there are are idiots and jerks and controlling figures. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so when Mariah comes in and says, there's a gentleman at the gate, I, I had Olivia go, ah! Just this primal thing of not another man mm -hmm. wanting my attention. Oh, is he from a C Orsino? Fine, I'll deal with him. So... It, fed, it, it, set up, it set up a situation which, in which Olivia is so frustrated mm. that she sees Cesario as a breath of fresh air, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. In addition to Cesario's weirdly um, feminine image of Maidenhead, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. he's also a different kind of man than she's seen. Mm -hmm. Did that answer your question? I yeah. forget the original it, question. It, it, yes, and, the, and it's interesting thinking about the way that Malvolio and Olivia are interacting. Cause think, in some productions, you might see like this strange like mirroring effect between Malvolio and Olivia coming in mm. as a p 
hair, and you can almost understand Olivia or Malvolio thinking that like, oh, maybe I've shot with Olivia or something. They yeah. seem they come in like the same kind of severity yeah. or something, or like almost like twins. Um, but to have to emphasize Malvolio as being another force of like, like masculine control over Olivia and sort of irritation yeah. as opposed to being like someone like kind of on her team would just add to I, I could see how that could add to the, like the comedy and yeah. like um in you know pushing off his advances well, as well. And, and one of the things uh, my olivia was great abby lee she's a chicago mm-hmm. actress in fact um um she was great and she threw she was absolutely the funniest olivia i've ever seen I mean, including Mark Rylance, who I love. Oh. Mark Rylance is terrific. But mm-hmm. uh, um, so my Olivia was threw herself into the physical comedy of trying to woo Olivia, uh, uh, Viola Cesario, and um, um, and in fact, when she comes in and sees her at the top of the second act or act four, mm-hmm. um, um, well, you know, had her. Will you take my hand? Will you take my hand? And then and then um, um, and Cesario kind of took it took it and just kind of took it briefly and then let go. Mm-hmm. And then Olivia just went, oh, oh no, no, she took it. And then she pushed her hand closer to Viola. Mm-hmm. And then Viola just kind of let go of the hand. But then Olivia just put her hand up. <laughs> oh, you kissed my hand. Oh, oh that's nice. So, and, and then, and then, and then she would, and then she put her hand around. Um, Viola, uh, Cesario put her hand around Olivia, but, but Olivia grabbed her hand. It got her into an embrace and let her wouldn't let her hand go. And then, you know, I asked my actors. I said, "Would you be okay if Olivia just grabbed her ass?" And so, and Olivia just kind of went, oh, no, this is a zoom, you know. And it was, it was, there was this great sexual tension of of mm-hmm. awkwardness and and mm-hmm. comedy, mm-hmm. but driven by character. Mm-hmm. My one challenge with Abby it was that she wanted to be too comic too soon. Mm. And so in her mm. first scene, when she's so upset mm. uh, about not, or, not only this other suitor, but the loss of her brother, mm. um, I had to just really just go very slow. You Just be, take it very slow. Be very still. Because you're going to be the girl who throws herself all over the stage. Mm-hmm. And she's literally, there's a, point, there's a point at which she's on her knees and Violet is dragging her across the stage. So she had a great, there was a great journey, a mm. great journey for Olivia. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Katie's students asked me some very interesting questions about Twelfth Night, which I will definitely post as a follow-up podcast, maybe even as early as next week. I hope that sounds more like a promise than a threat. Send us your treatments of Malvolio via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to fallen noble Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout out this week goes to Dawn Westerhout. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Kate Pitt, who was serving as the dramaturg for Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 648-1944ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company.
podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.